Hello and good day, eh? Welcome to the Super Good Camping Podcast. My name is Pamela. I'm Tim. We are from supergoodcamping.com. We are here because we are on a mission to inspire other families to enjoy camping adventures such as we have with our kids. Today's guest is a major contributor to Tim getting back into backcountry camping. He is extremely experienced Crown Lamb backcountry camper. He loves hiking, canoe tripping, bushcraft, winter camping, and he's a nemophilist. Yes, we're going to ask him what exactly that means. On his YouTube channel, he talks about all kinds of camping, dehydrating meals, minimizing camping impact on the land we use, gear reviews, tarpology, building igloos, and so much more. Please welcome one of Tim's heroes, Pine Martin Pine, also known as Pine Martin. Welcome. Welcome, 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 yes, welcome. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. Thank you so much for inviting me on. So great to have you here. Uh, yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> yes. so, so just well, to- I, I'm curious, Tim, if I could start the interview by asking you a question. What is this that I, I something I said or did or in, in a video in, in, inspired you to get back into back into camping? Fault. It's it, all your fault. It is apparently all your fault. So, so I, I would normally say a million years, not quite that long ago, but but ways back. Um, YouTube was a fairly new thing for me. And certainly it didn't occur to me I could do like research and stuff on it. So I don't remember exactly how it played out, but I I was interested, like I read something somewhere about Crown Land Camping. I've never done it. I've done, I've done backcountry in Ontario parks. I'm sorry. I probably have done it, but like a million years ago with scouts, right? Or or with air cadets or something along those lines. Um, so I just thought I was interested in it. So I searched it up whatever the deal was, you came up, I watched your video and went, wow, that seems like I, I need to get some equipment stuff. That seems pretty straightforward. I should be able to do that stuff. Okay, cool. So you launched me into getting back into backcountry camping after, I don't know, 20 years. Uh, and then at some point when I was trying to figure out some additional things, I think I searched up uh, dehydrating meals and mm. you came up again. So it was like, okay, I'm just going to watch all the stuff this guy does. And, and that'll, I should be covered for backcountry. <laughs> so there it was, you were, you were an inspiration. Great. Well, thank you. That's enormously gratifying to hear. So, I mean, I have a YouTube channel. It's a very small channel. I have something like a little over 10,000 subscribers. I've never monetized the channel. It's, it's strictly about putting out information out there for people who are interested in backcountry camping. I've uh, never made a nickel off of it. Uh, so the only reward for me is to hear from people such as yourself who have, have watched some videos and were inspired to, to take up some particular aspect of something that I do. And, and especially crown land camping, that is the big thing. Like I have been a, a, a an advocate and a, and a, a proponent of backcountry crown land camping for years. Um, there's a lot of people who make use of crown land, but to, to encourage people to, to, take up the responsible, low impact, environmentally sensitive and responsible use of our crown lands for things like snowshoeing and skiing and hiking and canoeing and backcountry camping. That, that has been my mission. That, that has been like a, a prime motivator. That has been the, the, the primary focus of my channel. Um, so the, the videos that you're, you were talking about, I think are the videos where I first made, uh, where I described a process for how to locate Crown land closest to you, uh, how to navigate there, um, uh, how to do so safely and responsibly and ethically, what the rules uh, are, what you may and may not do um, legally, but also what you should and shouldn't do from an environmentally responsible perspective. 
So the fact that you actually uh, took up some of this stuff is enormously gratifying to me. That's that's the biggest possible reward I could I could have. So thank you so much. I'm so happy. Thank you for answering that question. I was, I was no, really thank wondering. Thank you so much. Thank you. Can, thank we, you. can you just, one of you, uh, just... <laughs> For people that maybe don't understand exactly what is Crownland, what what is what do you mean? Oh, Martin's going to do a way better I job. I know, go, but go I, I, I sure. Know. Yep. Okay. Well, Crownland is essentially just government land. It's land that we own. Right? It is owned by the Canadian people. Um, uh, I mean, we're we're part of a Commonwealth, um, so it's called Crown land. But I mean, we own it. It's our land. Okay, so it's government land, and it's managed by various agencies. Uh, depends on what province you're in. So in Ontario, for instance, you know we have the Ministry of Natural Resources, or that's not what it's called any longer, but it escapes me right now <laughs> what yep. it's called. Yep. Um, but uh, at, at different times and in different provinces, it's, it's managed by different things. And sometimes Crown land is managed by a municipality, for instance. Um, but, but Crown land uh, is just government land. Uh, and uh, and there's different kinds of Crown land. So for instance, Ontario parks, all of the provincial parks, strictly speaking, are Crown land. Those are all Crown lands. It's just that that's Crown land that's heavily regulated. Uh, you can only camp in certain places. There are certain trails that you can stick to. There are certain waterways that you can travel along. You're not supposed to deviate from those areas. You have to book. You have to schedule, you have to pay fees, you have to make reservations, all that sort of stuff. Um, the kind of crown land camping that I'm, I'm talking about is looking um, for crown land using, in Ontario, for instance, the online crown land policy atlas and uh, finding what's called general use crown land, crown land that is not part of the parks system usually, um, or it can be an unregulated, unmanaged park, for instance. Uh, where there are essentially no rules, and what you could just go if you don't, if you know where to go, and there's a place where you can safely leave your vehicle, you just drive there, you drop off your vehicle, and then you hike in, or you paddle in, or you snowshoe in, or whatever it is uh, the case. Um, and there's no fees, there's no reservation, there's no booking, there's no schedule to which you must keep as you're traveling along, and uh, it's free; it doesn't cost you anything. Uh, so you can camp. Uh, for any number of days, 21 days, you have, you have three weeks in one spot, and then you have to move a certain number of meters away, um, uh, and then you can camp again. And, and those rules are in place only to prevent people from squatting out on, on crown land. But basically, you're allowed to crown land camp year round, you know, all year uh, if you wanted to, if you were so inclined. Um, so uh, that's what crown land is. So when people talk about crown land camping, they're talking about the crown land camping that you can do outside of the park system that doesn't require the booking fees, the reservations, the scheduling and, and all of that. It's just, it's just essentially undeveloped land that, is, that falls under the purview of some agency such as a, a municipality or um, a, a, an Ontario ministry or something like that. Uh, so that's, that's the kind of crown line uh, that we're talking about. Cool. That's, you did that way better job of, <laughs> of uh, describing that than I would. That's for sure. You know how to say that word. What's a nemophilist? Uh, a nemophilist? Oh, so a nemophilist is just a fancy word for a nature lover. It's just someone who loves nature and loves the outdoors. So um, I, I, you must have cribbed that word from um, one of my profile descriptions, either on Instagram or Facebook or maybe on my YouTube channel or something like that. Yep. Um, where I describe myself as a, you know, a, a backcountry camping enthusiast. Uh, and uh, among the descriptors that I have there, like camper, bushcraft enthusiast and stuff like that. I have the word nemophilus. So a nemophilus is just a nature lover. It's just a fancy word. I don't know why I chose that. It's just the first time I saw it, I thought, I like that word. Uh, and it, it's apt. It fits me. So there you go. 
it, well, and it does. Uh, it, the funny thing is I, cause I had no idea. I looked it up and, and Google being the thing that it is, I, it has shown up in uh, so, so many things. It's suddenly it's popping up in every time I'm on my phone or whatever. It's like, why is that there? Oh, cause I looked it up once. <laughs> So if you don't mind it, so you are, you are an outdoor guy, like all the time. Every time I, I see any reference to you, you're, you're doing something outdoor, whether you're, whether you're doing some, whether you're building uh, igloos in the winter, whether you're doing winter camping, because that's a, that's a, that's a thing for you, which I want to talk about shortly, but is that your day job? Do you, do you have a different day job and you just have all kinds of flexibility? How does that work for you? Yeah. So I, I'm semi-retired. So I do have a day job. I, I'm not going to, I don't get into too much about my private life, but yes, okay. I do have yep. a sort of ordinary mundane uh, day job. Uh, but I also have uh, another uh, job recently. I partnered with an ecotourism uh, and outdoor experience company called Yours Outdoors based in Ontario in the Halliburton area. And they offer all kinds of experiences, everything from ice climbing to ice fishing to snowshoeing um, and all kinds of summer activities, you know, canoeing and stuff like that and foraging for wild mushrooms. They offer all kinds of experiences. And uh, among the experiences they have uh, to offer are the ones that, that I, I brought to bear, uh, which uh, are essentially instructional courses. They're, they're courses on how to string tarps. Uh, courses on what I call tarpology, mm -hmm. uh, courses on firecraft, basic firecraft uh, for camping purposes in the backcountry, uh, but also advanced firecraft. So for people who are interested in like learning friction fire techniques, like the bow drill and stuff like that. Uh, and in winter, I offer courses on um, hot tenting. So I offer a two night or, uh, well, a, a, a one night or a two night, either a two day or a three day hot tenting course. So if you're interested in hot tenting and you want to take a course with an instructor where you're taught everything from A to Z um, um, and you actually go on a camping trip for two or three days, uh, that's what I offer. So I offer an introductory course on hot tenting uh, where we supply the gear and you supply, say, your food and a bit of gear, whatever gear you want to bring and can bring. I also offer a course on igloo building. So I, I'm a real advocate of snow shelter camping. The snow shelters are much underrated. They're fantastic uh, ways of winter camping, of staying much warmer if you know how to do them uh, carefully and you know the techniques and stuff like that. Um, so I offer courses on igloo building. Um, and these are igloo building workshops. These are day-long workshops where we go out and we actually build an igloo. We can build it out in the woods somewhere, or we can build it right on your property if you want to enjoy the igloo for the rest of the winter uh, with you and your family. We build the igloo, and I, I teach people how to camp, how to outfit your igloo, what, what kind of gear do you need so that you can camp uh, and uh, rest and, and cook and eat and just enjoy the comfort of, of your igloo. Um, so that's the kind of stuff that I offer with yours outdoors. So yes, there, I, part of, of, of my income comes from working with, in partnership with yours outdoors right now. Uh, and if anyone's interested, you can just go to yoursoutdoors.ca. There's a calendar of all the kinds of experiences they offer. They offer things year round among them are the, the various backcountry camping skills courses that I teach. Yeah. Well, I, so for, for the record, I went and checked it out. It, it's cool. It it has such a runs at such a gamut of, of I mean, there's like there's a glass blowing course. So so I I, I love that it, it right yeah they're into like artisanal sort of. It, I think it's great. I think it's an amazing thing. On the note of of igloos, how, how does that start? How does one how does one 
become an expert igloo? Like you just went, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And you spent an entire winter building igloos and having them fail and learning better ways to do it. Or, or how did you get into doing that? Uh, yeah, that's kind of a weird story. Um, so uh, <laughs> I don't consider myself an expert uh, in igloo building, but I'm sort of a, uh, a, a passionate advocate of, of igloo building and igloo camping. So when I was a child and in my teens, you know, we used to do what all kids do, which is you tunnel into the snow banks and you make these snow caves and stuff like that. So we used to do that. And at some point, one of us got the bright idea that, it, you know, we could camp out in one, which we did, you know, uh, and we froze because we didn't know about, you know, ground insulation, insulating ourselves from the snow layer. And so we froze, but we figured it out. You know, eventually we figured it out as kids. At some point, I stumbled across a book that described something called a Quincy. Uh, actually, it was spelled Quinchy. Uh, mispronounced it. Uh, but there was this thing called a Quincy that you could build, which is basically a kind of primitive poor man's igloo, which is basically you take a shovel or, you know, several friends get together and you, you make a giant snow pile in a cone shape, and then you tunnel into it. And then you excavate it out on the inside, more or less into the approximation of an igloo. Uh, and this snow shelter is fantastic because it is if properly built, it is quite solid and, and fairly safe. It's not particularly long lasting um, because eventually it starts to sag in because it's very hard to make a Quincy that um, will withstand thaws and things like that. And they have a tendency to sort of fold in slowly over the course of many days. Um, so it's a kind of temporary shelter, uh, but snow insulates very well, much better than any tent. The, tent. the temperature inside a tent is at best only a few degrees better than the temperature outside your tent. And it doesn't block much in the way of wind. A snow shelter blocks out all wind chill and it traps heat. Snow is a fantastic insulator. It's better than the fiberglass pink insulation in, in the walls of your home. And so the heat that's in your shelter generated by your body or a candle lantern or something like that uh, is trapped and accumulates. And so it's a much warmer sleep. You don't need a big thousand dollar minus 40 winter sleeping bag or something like that in a snow shelter. You can get by with doubling up a couple of of uh, like a summer sleeping bag and a three season bag or some wool blankets and stuff like that. And as long as you're insulated from the ground, you'll be comfortable. So I found this, this book that had this description of a Quincy. I fell in love with the idea. I promised myself the next winter I would build one. And I did. I found a, a friend who, who was similarly enthusiastic and we did it and we camped in it. We had a great time and we weren't freezing. Uh, and so that's it. We figured out how to, how to winter camp, even though we didn't have four season tents or any of the expensive equipment. We just had cheap Canadian tire sleeping bags that we doubled up and wool blankets and we had it solved. Uh, but the problem with the Quincy is that it takes a lot, a lot of time to build. You have to build this enormous snow pile and you got to let it set and center up and harden up. It takes about 90 minutes to two hours. And then you got to go and hollow it out. So you're moving the snow twice because you can pile it up and then you got to hollow it out. Most of the snow comes out again and you can, have, you can get wet and damp doing that. Um, so it's not the ideal snow shelter, but an igloo. Man, that sounded amazing. And igloos stand up. They'll, they'll hold up the whole winter unless there's like a major thaw and rains. They'll hold up a whole winter. So I thought, oh, I'd love to learn how to build an igloo. But there's no way to build an igloo in our Ontario snow conditions. Um, in the Arctic, you, they get a particular kind of snow condition called wind-centered Arctic snowpack. And they can cut blocks that are so dense, so hard that you can stand on them. And they can make these huge blocks um, and build an igloo in no time. In this part of Ontario that we live in, we don't get those snow conditions. But then I heard about this, this contraption. This was about 12 years ago, this contraption called the Icebox Igloo Tool. And for the record, I have no affiliation with the company that manufactures it. I know the gentleman who invented it. He's kind of an eccentric genius who invented this, who lives in Colorado. He goes up into the mountains. 
on 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 snowshoe and ski trips with people, and he figured out this contraption that would allow him to build igloos in virtually any snow conditions. It doesn't have to be wet, sticky snow. It can be dry sugar snow, fresh powder, you name it. He figured this out. And when I heard about this, I thought, oh, I, I got to try this. But I was in, I was hesitant because it, it, it looked like it might be a kid's toy or something. Like I, I didn't want to, you know, try it and it not work out. Uh, I found one on, on sale secondhand. I bought it. I tried it and it worked like a charm. It was fantastic. And I realized, oh, it's possible to build an igloo in our Ontario snow conditions and virtually any temperature and snow conditions. And when I realized that there was this, this jig, this contraption that would allow you to build a structure that had the proper form of an igloo, which is a, a particular shape, it's a catenary arch, and the walls of uniform thickness of just the right height and proportions, that when there was, I realized it was a jig that would allow you to build this, this, this thing and, and sort of take the, 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 uh, the, the error out of it, right? So that it wouldn't sag and fold in on itself. I, I was sold. And after that, I never camped in a Quincy again. I've built Quincy's since, but I've not camped in one since. Uh, an igloo is much brighter, much more spacious, much more solid. I mean, I stand on my igloos the, the morning after I built them. Um, they're that solid. Uh, so uh, that's how I got into it. 12 years ago, I discovered there was this contraption. I tried it. I loved it. It was amazing. And um, I've been igloo camping ever since. I also love hot tenting, of course. But if you want to go cold camping, um, that's the cheapest way to go is build a snow shelter, whether it's a Quincy or an igloo. And how long does it take you to build an igloo? Uh, depends on the size of the igloo and how many people are involved in the build. If I'm building a solo igloo, that's one just big enough for myself, that'll be that'll have a seven foot wide diameter interior. So from in, inside, from wall to wall, it'll be seven feet long, just enough for me to stretch out in. Mm-hmm. Uh, or me and a small child or something like that. Two adults are really cramped, but an adult and a child, that would be fine or for yourself. And I can build that in about four hours in most snow conditions by myself. So it's slow. I mean, it's, it still takes hours. It's not as fast as pitching a tent, but it's so much warmer and it'll last the whole winter. You can go back to your campsite and there's your, your igloo. You just have to clear out the entrance with a shovel if, if it snowed uh, while you were gone. If I'm building a two-person igloo in most snow conditions, I can build one in about four hours with a partner. Um, in fact, um, with Yours Outdoors, I was doing an igloo build for two couples. They wanted um, two igloos, one igloo for each couple. And we built uh, we built one in a little more than um, five hours. Um, took a long time because I had to show them the process. And then when we started the second one, we built that in a fraction of the time. So we built two igloos uh, for four people to sleep in, uh, in under eight hours. Um, so if you're, if, if I'm going out with a friend, I can build one in about four hours. If I'm going out by myself, I can build one in about four hours. And in ideal snow conditions, I can build one in less time, but I've had some practice. So I'm a little faster than the average person. Um, but every time you build an igloo, you learn, you get faster at it, you get better at it. You find out, you know, know, what little tips and tricks that you need to do, depending on the snow conditions and the temperatures and stuff like that. Uh, but you can build them bigger. You can build uh, a nine foot wide igloo inside that'll sleep three. You can build a 10 foot one that'll build sleep comfortably four. You can build an 11 foot wide igloo, which is like a cavern, uh, and that'll sleep five or six. Wow. Yeah. But <laughs> consequently, you have more people though, right? If you have that many people involved in the build, there's that many more people that can help with the build. And so the time always, you know, is, is, is roughly the same. You know, four hours is usually about the, the longest that it takes, unless you're dealing with people who've never done it before, you know, but as long as you have people who are energetic and cooperative and willing to shovel some snow around, you can usually build one in about four hours. 
So is there a strategy to getting that arch? Like you mentioned the arch that has to be. Yeah, there's a, there's a huge strategy. Like I've tried building um, igloos without this, this, this contraption, this jig. I've tried twice. The first time was a dismal failure. The second time was not bad, but not great. It didn't come out great. Uh, yeah, so there is a strategy. So an igloo has a very particular shape. It is not a dome shape. A lot of people think it's a dome, just a hemisphere. Other people think it's kind of like a silo. The walls come up a little bit and then there's a dome on top. That's not right either. It has a very particular shape called a catenary arch. So if you imagine a chain suspended between two fence posts, okay? Think of that arch that it would form, okay? Now invert that arch. That's called a catenary arch. And that arch has a very peculiar property. Um, first of all, for the thickness of the walls that you're going to build and the area that's going to be inside it, it's, it's, it's optimal. That is, you're going to get the most amount of space for the least amount of snow involved in the build. So that's kind of genius on the part of the, the indigenous builders that came up with the shape. The other is that a catenary arch has, a, has the property that the inward tendency of the walls to fall inwards under their own weight is countered and balanced by the downward and outward pressure of the weight of the roof. And that's why you can stand on them once they've solidified the next morning. Uh, and they solidify the next morning because in the night while you're in, inside there, you know, respiring and breathing and, you know, uh, sweating, or if you're cooking, if you're boiling water in there or something like that, the, the moisture that escapes uh, is absorbed into the walls and freezes overnight. And the next morning you can climb on top of them. Uh, that's, that's solid. So yes, there is a particular shape and it is that particular shape that, lends that, not just that solidity, but that durability so that they can last virtually throughout an entire winter, unless you get uh, an unseasonable thaw and lots of rain. And then of course they have a tendency to, they don't usually collapse. It's very rare for them to collapse. They'll usually shrink. They'll get lower and lower and lower and lower. So if you're inside, it would look like as if the floor has come up inside. It's less, there's less headroom, but they don't fold in. Whereas a Quincy doesn't have uniformly thick walls doesn't usually have the right catenary arch shape. And so it starts to sink in from the ceiling and the, the ceiling gets lower and lower, but falls in like a, like a bowler hat. Uh, and that can happen in, in like in one night. So you wake up uh, in the night and you look and the ceiling is like, a, you know, a foot closer than it was when you went to sleep, which is um, very unnerving. You have a tendency <laughs> to sleep with one eye open when that happens. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And unnerving is a good word. Yeah. It's a little dangerous. Yeah, that would that would freak me out. So it, it reminds me of like a like a Roman arch, and it's all about the keystone. That's what keeps that particular. That's right. That's the in, integral part of it. You can you can do it all you want if you don't have it just that that right arch with that that keystone and the angle on that, so that it's pressing against itself to hold it in place. Exactly. Now, with a Romanesque arch, though, that is a hemisphere. That's usually like a like a silo, two straight walls, and then a dome on top. Right. Uh, the the and with stone, you don't have to worry about things bulging out. But if you imagine a straight wall and then a, 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 an arch starting to form made out of snow, that arch pressing down will push that wall outwards because snow is very flexible. It bends. It stretches. It flows. It is not static. It's not like stone. It's not static. And uh, so if you built it the way a Romanesque arch would be built, the walls would start to bulge out and the ceiling would start to fold in. And that's why the Inuit, to their enormous credit, had the ingenuity to figure out that the walls had to have a very particular angle, not a Romanesque arch. The walls had to start leaning in from the very first block. The very first block leans in and it continues to lean in and it, and it comes to a particular point. Um, so that particular catenary arch is, is peculiar to the, the igloo. It's absolutely optimal for what they were trying to do and the material that they were working with. I mean, no doubt if they were working with stone, they would have built a different shape. But if you're working with snow, 
it has to be that shape. Cool. That's amazing. I just learned so much. And how how thick are the walls? You said that they're uniform thickness and how thick would it be? They're about eight inches thick. So, I mean, the, 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 the contraption that, that I use called the icebox igloo tool um, is a form. It's a, imagine a three-sided box. So imagine a box that doesn't have a top and doesn't have a bottom. It's just got a front side, a back side, and one side, and then the, the fourth side is missing. So um, you put that down on the snow, you pack it with, you fill it with snow. So one person acts as the shoveler that shovels snow into it. And the other person is packing it down. And if you pack it down with just the right amount of pressure, and you learn this by experience, by feel. You'll feel the snow lock up under your mitten or your glove while you're pa- packing it down. It'll lock up under about eight, seven or eight pounds of pressure uh, by your hand. Again, you go by feel. So don't worry about the number. You, you, you feel it lock up. And so person shovels some snow in, you pack it down. They shovel it uh, snow in, you pack it down. And then you release the block. This three-sided form opens up, it spreads open, and you can slide the block, the, the form off of the block that you've just created immediately after you've created it. Now, people think this can only work with wet, sticky snow, but it works in any snow conditions. It sounds astonishing. I know people are, are going to be incredulous hearing me say this, but every time I build an igloo with people, they, they sort of can't believe that it's actually working, but it does. As soon as you finish the block, you spread the form, and you slide it off, and there's your block. And then you build a block immediately adjacent to that. So the difference between what, what I teach people to do and what um, Indigenous uh, people uh, would, uh, did, the, the Inuit, is the Inuit would uh, find the right snow conditions. They'd find this uh, Arctic wind-centered snowpack, and they would quarry blocks out, and they'd move them into position. We're not doing that. What we're doing is we're shoveling snow into a form, and we're building the block in the position in where it needs to be. That's, and yeah, you go that's around and around in a circle, yep. and then you go up and up and up, and then there's a pole that's attached from the inside of the form to the center uh, point of the igloo, and that pole is adjustable. It extends inward and outwards, uh, and, and it's all numbered so that as you go up to the second course, you just adjust the pole to position number two. That lengthens or shortens the pole depending on where you are in the build, um, and that um, automatically uh, ensures that the next course of blocks is at the right height, the right distance, and pre- crucially, the right angle, tipping inward just at the right angle so that your your uh, igloo ultimately ends in a catenary arch shape. And that's the genius of it. That slip form creates the blocks and then releases the block when you need it to. And the, the adjustable pole ensures that every block is the right distance from the center point, the right angle, and at the right height. Wow, so much engineering. But that's, that's cool. That, and that's what I was thinking about you were building them and then taking them into place. And then at some point it just went, oh, no, no, you're building them in place so right. that they're in the right form for the right, the right shape, the right angles, all the, all the right. Uh, that's, that's amazing. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's terrific fun. And it was funny is as, as, as you near the end of the build and you built this block and you release the block and you move the form into position for the next one, you look at the thing you just built. And you look at it and it's, t- it's leaning in at an almost impossible angle. And you're wondering, how in the world is it staying there? Why is it not crumbling? Why is it not just falling in, right? Um, so it, 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 it's kind of, I mean, every time I do it, I, I am just tickled by the physics of it, right? Uh, it's, it's a kind of genius on the part of the indigenous people that came up with this. And a kind of other modern genius by the fellow that invented a way to do this with our snow conditions without actually solid blocks to begin with. Um, so I find it particularly delicious. I, I, I have a lot of fun. I have as much fun building the igloos as I have camping in them. <laughs> cool. It must be very yeah. satisfying, I yeah. can imagine. Yeah, it is. It's very gratifying, actually. And it's it's it, 
especially when there's kids involved, if they're enthusiastic, I mean, not every, not every kid is interested in, 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 you know, sleeping in an igloo or hanging out in an igloo, but most kids have a certain kind of natural fascination with it. And they, they look at it in puzzlement and, and, and awe. And that's a lot of fun. I, I quite enjoy that. that. That's excellent. Thank you so much, Martin, for your time today. We so appreciate you being here and so much information that we've, we've learned. That's it for us for today. Please do Check out uh, all of our podcast episodes and check us out on YouTube, on all the social media, and please do reach out to us. Our email address is hi at supergoodcampaign.com. That's H-I at supergoodcampaign.com. I'm Pamela. I'm still Tim. And we are still from supergoodcampaign.com. Please do reach out to us and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye. 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 Thank you.